0: You're listening to Summit Podcasts, where you'll find sermon audio, weekly discussions of the message, the Back 40 Leadership Podcast, and much, much more. Subscribe today at summitpodcast.church and share this episode with your friends. Summit Church, every life made different. So today we are finishing our series called The Table. And if you've missed any part of it, I would encourage you to go back and listen. It's been helpful for me personally as I've processed and worked through this. Uh, and hopefully it's been helpful for you as well. And so what we've done is just looked at the table as a metaphor for relationship, for our relationship with Christ, uh, for our relationship with others. And we've looked at what it means and, and what are the benefits and what are the costs associated with coming to the table. And so when we started this series, uh, that first week we talked about a young man named Mephibosheth who was invited by the king, King David, to sit and dine at his table and what that meant that, that Mephibosheth could find belonging at David's table. And that's what we talked about week one, that we find belonging at God's table. When we sit at the table with Christ, we find belonging there. Week two, we talked about um, our heavenly father as a good shepherd, that uh, he makes a, ta- a table for us in the presence of our enemies. What does that mean? So we talked about there's provision at the table of God, but there's also protection at the table of God. Because there's provision and protection that allows us to rest. We can find rest at God's table because we don't have to worry about what's gonna happen. Am I gonna have enough? We don't have to worry about the people coming uh, that, are, that are pushing back against us. We can find rest even in the presence of our enemies. So last weekend we talked about some of the costs of following Christ or sitting at the table with Christ. We talked about the fact that Christ sacrifices to get us to the table, but also for us to come to the table, there's a sacrifice. There's things we have to lay down. For us to invite others to the table, there's a sacrifice. There's things we have to lay down. And that there's a cost associated with us being followers of Jesus and and sitting at his table. There's sacrifice involved. And this week, I want you to, to learn that the table is a place of intimacy, and we talked about this a little bit during week one, that it's a place of belonging, um, but it's more than that. Um, so let me start in Luke chapter 24 today. In Luke chapter 24, um, Jesus had been crucified and he had been laid in the grave for three days and this was Easter Sunday. So we'll pick it up on, on literally on Easter Sunday. He has arisen and This is kind of setting the scene for us. So in verse 13, it says that same day, the same day that Jesus rose, two of Jesus's followers. So I want you to key in on this. They were followers of Jesus. These were people who were familiar with him, knew him, knew his ministry. They weren't part of the 12 disciples, but they were part of the bigger group of followers that followed Jesus. They were walking to the village of Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. Everybody say seven miles. Has anybody walked seven miles today? No, I haven't. I definitely have not. I might not drive seven miles today. Seven miles feels like a really long way. For them, they were walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus. Now, seven miles around a track, you could do pretty quick. Seven miles from Jerusalem to Emmaus is not flat, even surface. It is not a wide paved sidewalk. Um, It is a difficult road to travel. It could take three to four hours for this journey. From... Jerusalem to Emmaus. So this is a long walk, a difficult walk. So they're on this long walk, the seven-mile journey. Verse 14, as they walked along, they were talking about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things, Jesus himself suddenly came and began walking with them. But God kept them from recognizing him. So here's here's what's going on. These young men were followers of Jesus. They were disciples. They had given their lives to pursuing what Christ was all about, what Christ taught. They believed that he might be the Messiah. They knew he was a rabbi, a good teacher. They knew that he was an eloquent speaker. They knew that he had performed miracles. And so they were following this man. But then the authority captures him, crucifies him, He's laid to rest. He's dead. At this point, their hopes are dashed. They're trying to figure out what are we gonna do with our lives now? And then they hear this story that Jesus was not in the grave. And so they don't have social media. They don't have um, the worldwide web, the interwebs to tell them what's going on. So they gotta talk about this stuff. So they're on this, this three or four hour walk to Emmaus and they are going to talk about it. We're going to dice this up. We're going to share. We're going to figure out what's going on. We're going to share theories. What's really happening? What do you think's happening? What does this mean? So they're going to talk about it. They already probably know what they're going to talk about on their walk. And then Jesus shows up. We don't know how he shows up. We don't know what this looks like. If he just appeared out of nowhere. If he jumped out of a bush and scared them. I don't know what this means. But he shows up. And he starts walking with them. And he engages them and they start to talk, but it says God kept them from recognizing him. So even though they'd spent time with him, even though they were his followers, they still didn't recognize him. Verse 17, he asked them, what are you discussing so intently as you walk along? They stopped short. They're walking and they stopped. They were surprised. Sadness written across their face. Then one of them, Cleopas, replied, you must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard all the things that have happened there the last few days. He says, basically, have you been living under a rock? And Jesus would have responded, well, yeah, for the last three days I have been, actually. Sorry. I'm a little ashamed of myself for sharing that. The older I get, the more these jokes come out of me. Like it's dad joke sickness. I'm sorry. What do they say? Like, how do you not know what's going on? How are you not following this? How are you not paying attention? Do you have no idea what's going on? It's only the biggest thing, right? Jesus plays dumb. He says, what things? And then they respond and say, the things that happened to Jesus, the man from Nazareth, he was a prophet who did powerful miracles. He was a mighty teacher in the eyes of God and all the people, but our leading priests and other religious leaders handed him over to be condemned to death, and they crucified him. We had hoped he was the Messiah who'd come to rescue Israel, this all happened three days ago. So they're sharing this story. Can you, can you hear the sadness in their voices as they're sharing this? Can you imagine that? In verse 22, they say, then some women from our group of his followers were at the tomb early this morning and they came back with an amazing report. They said his body was missing and they'd seen angels who told him Jesus was alive. Some of our men ran out to see and sure enough, his body was gone, just as the women had said, and they are astounded, right? We had hoped he was the Messiah, but I don't know. But here's what's happening now. So we don't know what's going on. We don't know what to believe. Have you ever, um, there's some viral videos from time to time. You'll see of like, um, they'll interview somebody and be like, hey, what do you think about Luke Skywalker? And they'd be like, he's the greatest character ever. And while they're talking, like Mark Hamill will walk out behind them and then he'll say something and they'll be like, oh my gosh, like, oh, Mark Hamill, I love you so much. Like this reveal moment, right? I saw a video the other day. There was um, a pitcher for the Mets named Matt Harvey. And he went around New York interviewing about Matt, people about Matt Harvey. And it was so funny because he'd be like, hey, what do you think of the Mets? Oh, I love the Mets. Who's your favorite player? Oh, I like so-and-so. What do you think about Matt Harvey? Oh, that guy's a bum. He's terrible. Or people would be like, I love Matt Harvey. There was one guy turned around he was wearing a Matt Harvey jersey. He was like, he is the greatest player. He's my favorite player. He's like, really? You really like, yeah, he's awesome. And it was fun to see the end of the video when there's a reveal, when he's like, well, I'm Matt Harvey. And he's like, oh my gosh, and they hug and you know, or the guy that was like, he's a bum. And he's like, well, I'm, I'm Matt Harvey. Nice to meet you. And he was like, I was just kidding. I didn't really mean it, right? Like the reveal is the interesting part. And this is the perfect setup for the reveal for Jesus, right? When they're like, we had hoped he was the Messiah and we heard he was alive, but we don't know. This is the moment where Jesus could be like, "Mm -hmm. nice to meet you, right? And you'd think that's what would happen. That this is the moment Jesus goes, it is I. And he levitates and right, and they're like, oh my gosh. It's kind of the opposite. Then Jesus said to them, you foolish people. You find it so hard to believe all the prophets wrote in the scriptures? Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering in his glory? Then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets explaining from all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. You foolish people. This sounds harsh, but he basically said, you idiots. Have have you not been paying attention to what the Bible says? Do you you not know what scripture says? You should know this. And he doesn't say you are my followers, but he, he was implying you should know. Why don't you recognize this? And the reason they didn't recognize this is because of what they felt. They felt sadness in this moment. And Jesus was saying, don't you remember what the Bible says? But here's the thing about sadness and loss and hurt and brokenness. It makes us forget what the Bible said. All of us. I'm the preacher here. I'm the pastor of this church. And if my heart, if I don't guard my heart, it's easy for me to forget what the promises of God are. Who is Jesus and what has he done? It's easy for me to doubt and go, well, I don't know. Maybe God can't show up. Why? Because I've forgotten. And in the same way that Jesus rebukes these men, I feel like Jesus rebukes us and goes, you foolish people. Why are you doubting? Why are you afraid? Why do you lack faith? Why do you not understand this? It's in the Bible. We know this but he rebukes them in that moment. And then he he doesn't just rebuke them and say, you should know better. He goes on to give them a master's course in Old Testament survey. (laughs) He said, okay, we got some time. I'm gonna help you understand this better. So what does he do? He says, let's walk through what Moses had to say about who Jesus was. Let's walk through all the prophets and what did they have to say about who Jesus was? He teaches them everything the Bible says about who Jesus was and and who he was going to be. You think my sermons are long? This was three or four hours. Jesus is like, and another thing, right? Just when they think he's wrapping up and he's like, Hey, I'm gonna let our Blairsville campus go, but there's one more thing, right? He just keeps throwing stuff in. Three or four hours, he's telling them about the Old Testament. Here's what Moses said. Here's what the prophets say. He's going through this with them. And this is what it says in verse 28. By this time, they're nearing Emmaus. And the end of the journey, Jesus acted as if he were going on, but they begged him, stay the night with us since it's getting late. So he went home with them. As they sat down to eat, and some translations say, uh, as they reclined at the table, he took the bread and blessed it. Then he broke it and gave it to them. Suddenly, their eyes were open, and they recognized him. And at that moment, he disappeared. They said to each other, didn't our hearts burn within us as he talked with us on the road and explained the scriptures to us? See, in hindsight, they could look back and go, oh, we see that we were with Jesus now. But they didn't recognize it in the moment. It's interesting because they were followers of Jesus. They had spent time with him. They were acquainted with him. They had had meals with him, probably. They had talked with him. They had heard him talk. They had heard him teach. They had heard him preach. They would seen signs and wonders and miracles and all the things. But they didn't recognize him. They didn't know Jesus until they got home. Until they got to the house and sat down for their meal, they didn't know Jesus. And, and let me submit something to you. I think there are a lot of people in churches all over the world, but specifically in America, that we do lots of religious things. We're around Jesus a lot. We know the right words to say, we've seen things he's done, we would say we're followers of Jesus. But we've never invited Jesus into the personal, intimate space of our own hearts and our own lives. And because we have failed to do that, we fail to really know Jesus. Now, we know lots of things about him, but we don't know him. See, there's areas of our lives we don't wanna invite Jesus into. (laughs) You don't believe me? That's why people get uncomfortable when we start talking about money, right? Because like, people are like, hey, this is not your area of concern. Jesus, you're invited into salvation. I don't wanna go to hell. I do wanna go to heaven. So I invite you to be my savior. But everything else is off limits. My relationships, my business, my money, my possessions, all that stuff is mine. So stay out. And I... I'll submit to you. I don't believe we can really know Jesus until we invite Jesus into every area of our life. The areas that are uncomfortable, the areas that maybe we've got some insecurity in. So a few years ago, many years ago now, Kim and I, we we lived in Texas and we moved from Texas to Oklahoma and we moved in 2008. And I don't know if any of you remember 2008, but that was a bad time to be selling homes in the United States. And so we were trying to sell this house in Texas, no buyers, so we rented it. And they paid us rent occasionally um, from time to time. They they never ever, the whole time they lived there, paid us the full rent, um, but they paid us partial rent sometimes, um, which needless to say, caused some stress in our lives. Um, But here's the thing, it was my house, but they occupied it legally. I could go look at the house, inspect the house whenever I wanted to or needed to, uh, because it's my house. I had keys to the house, but they occupied it. And so I would call them from time to time if we'd be in Texas, and I would let them know, hey, we're gonna be in town, I'd like to stop by and just look at the house. And there was always resistance. Well, I mean, you can, but. Now, legally, I gave them notice I had the right to walk into the house at the appointed time and go in whatever room I wanted. That was my legal right to do that. Um, But inevitably, we'd get there and be like, hey, it's good to see you. How's everything going? Oh, everything's great. And we'd be standing in the the entryway. Okay, good. Well, uh, I'd like to just take a look around. Well, yeah, yeah, you can do that. But it was not welcoming, like, come on in. It was like, yeah, you can do that if you walk by me or if, you know. And and, well, it's probably better if you don't go in because, well, we've had some problems with, so why don't you not? So what is he doing? He was trying to limit my access to a house that I owned. And this is how we approach God many times. We we come into a church service or we have a a spiritual moment with God and we go, God, you've got my life. You've got my heart. I am all yours. I'm all in. And, And by all in, I mean, You've got this area. The rest is mine. And God goes, well, I'd like to talk to you about it. And you go, no, nope, I don't think so. That, that area's off limits. Well, why don't I just take a look? Nope, nope, I'd love to, but you can't. Well, I thought this was my house. Oh, it is your house. It's all yours, God. But, but just not this or this or this or this or this. And then we wonder why we're not growing in our faith. We wonder why our relationship with God is so hard. It's because we don't know him. We walk with him. We hear lots of things about him. We, we've, we've had some meals with him. We've never invited him into those secret places, into those intimate places to sit down and speak into our lives. We say, God, you can do whatever you want. Just don't tell me how to run my business or my finances or my relationships. Or and That's not how God works. He's either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. And here's the thing, we can invite Jesus to the table. We can give him access, but there's two things we have to do. We have to be aware of his presence and we have to steward his presence well. Now here's the thing. Sometimes maybe you've been in a church service and maybe we've been guilty of this, where we'll say things like, God, we just invite you into this place today. I got news for you. God is omnipresent. That means he is everywhere all the time. He's occupying every space simultaneously. He does not need my invitation to come into this place. Do you know why? Because he was here before we turned on the air conditioner or the heater this morning. He was here before we unlocked the doors and started the coffee makers. He was here already. God's like, yeah, I know. I've been waiting on you to show up, right? So what's the difference? It's awareness. That's why sometimes we can sit in a church service and feel nothing. And sometimes we sit in a church service and weep. It's because we're aware of the presence of God. God is there. In the service, you don't feel him in. It's not his fault. We're just not aware of his presence. So, so we have to be aware. Okay, God, I see you and I'm here. And then we have to be a steward of his presence. What am I doing with the presence of God? So some of you... Maybe during the series even, you've invited your family. You've recognized, hey, we've done a bad job eating together as a family. So family, we're gonna eat together. And your kids are like, oh, and so they come to the table. You're like, we're gonna sit around the table and we're gonna eat together. And if all you do is sit around and eat while everybody is looking at their devices and their phones and their iPads, and they've got their AirPods in, and they're just paying attention to their thing, here's the deal. You are together at the table, but there's not an awareness of each other because you can go, hey, 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 hey! And finally they're like, oh, what do you need? Why? Because they were not aware of you, right? This is the way we come to Christ sometimes. We're like, yes, come to my table, Jesus. I'm just gonna be engrossed in my thing though. I'm not gonna pay attention to what you have to say, no matter how hard you bang on the table. And then we've gotta do something with that. Because if all you do is sit at your table with your family and they're all looking at their devices, they're not engaging with each other, then you're not stewarding that moment well. And when I say steward, I mean, what are you cultivating? What are you trying to build? What do you want to, to be produced in that moment? Because if all you want to do is sit at a table while you eat your food and pay attention to your devices, great. You've done it. Mission accomplished. But if you want something to be produced from that, you've gotta be intentional. You've gotta say, hey, we're putting away devices. We're gonna pay attention to each other. We're gonna be aware of each other and we're gonna do something in this moment together. And this is the same thing we have to do with Christ. We, we are aware of his presence. We invite him to the table and we say, Jesus, uh, I'm gonna focus on you. I'm gonna concentrate on you. And, and I wanna steward this well. I want the right things to be produced from this interaction in this relationship but too many times we don't do it because we're engrossed in our own things. We're doing our own things. Jesus is everywhere. I got good news. He's with you all the time. He is waiting for you in your car right now. You don't have to invite him into your car as you drive home or drive to lunch. He's there. I don't have to invite him to be a part of our business meeting in a few minutes. He's already in the business meeting. He's waiting for us in time there. So what I have to do is be aware of that. And then I have to decide, what am I gonna do with that? Am I gonna steward his presence well or not? We've got decisions to make. There's a passage in James four, I love the book of James. It's my favorite book of the Bible. It's deeply practical and it's so direct. James does not pull any punches. (laughs) As a matter of fact, in James four, four, he says this, he's talking to the church. He says, you adulterers, It's got an exclamation point. He was yelling, you adulterers. Now, let me make something clear, not to be condescending, but if you aren't comfortable or familiar with this language, an adulterer is someone from a biblical perspective who um, engages in, in a sexual relationship with someone that they are not married to, okay? So it's outside the covenant of marriage. This is someone who is married to someone and engages in an inappropriate relationship with someone else. Now, James is not accusing the church of being full of literal adulterers. That's not what he's saying. He's calling them spiritual adulterers. He's saying, you are supposed to be the bride of Christ, married to Christ, but you are cheating. You've got a wandering eye. He says, don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again. If you wanna be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. And here's what he's saying, if I can put it into our context just a little bit, take just a tiny bit of liberty with this. He's saying, you're sitting at the wrong table. You've told Christ, this seat is for you. I'm sitting with you, Jesus. But it's only on Sunday mornings. It's only on Saturday night. It's only when I have a chance to watch online. Other than that, I'm gonna sit at this table because this is where my attention is. This is where my affection is. So when this is convenient, I'm here. I am all yours as long as I wanna be. Otherwise, I'm gonna be at this table over here with something else that has captured my attention. And what James is saying is very directly saying, hey, you're supposed to be in covenant relationship with Jesus, but you're not living that way. And then he says this, which mirrors what Jesus said In verse five, he says this, do you think the scriptures have no meaning? They say that God is passionate about the spirit he's placed within us should be faithful to him. So let me stop there. He asked the question, it's rhetorical. Do you you think scripture is meaningless? Remember what I said, we forget what scripture says when there's brokenness in us. When there's relational brokenness in us, when there's sexual brokenness in us, when there is, hurt in us. Whatever it is, it causes us to forget what scripture says. And we start saying things like, well, I know what the Bible says, but it just feels right. That's dangerous. Jesus would call you foolish. I'm not saying you're foolish. I'm just saying Jesus would, because that's what he did. James, the brother of Jesus, called the church adulterers. He's saying, You have forgotten what Scripture says. Does it mean nothing to you? It either means something or it doesn't. But too often it doesn't for us when it's not convenient. And he says this in verse 6. He gives grace generously, as scripture says. So he said all these hard things and then he softens and said, he gives grace generously, as scripture says. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And what he's saying is, maybe you found yourself at the wrong table. Maybe you find yourself with a wandering eye, with an an adulterous spirit. He says, God will forgive if you'll just come back humbly. And then he goes on to say this. He says, so humble yourself before God, resist the devil and he'll flee. Come close to God and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, purify your hearts, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. This is a side note. I quoted James 4, 8 as as COVID was starting. Wash your hands, you sinners. That was not, I got some hate mail about that one. They didn't appreciate that very much. I thought it was very funny. (laughs) What does he say? Humble yourselves. Humble yourself. Come back to God and say, I was stupid. I I shouldn't have been living that way. I shouldn't, and God will receive you. And then he says something that's so interesting. He says, come close to God and God will come close to you. So have you ever... Maybe you met somebody for lunch or coffee or something like that and you sat with them and when you sat down, maybe their body language said they weren't very interested in what you were having to say. Maybe they were sitting, their body turned a little bit away from you. Maybe they had their arms crossed where their their body was aligned somewhere else instead of towards you. And so they, they would look at you from time to time but they just seemed disinterested. Like, oh, we're sitting together, but we're not really together in this moment. Have you ever had that moment before? Because I have. I'm like, listen, do we need to keep talking? Because it doesn't seem like you really want to. And sometimes we think this is how God approaches us. We say, Jesus, I'm all in, I want you. And Jesus sits down and goes, okay. You got five minutes, go. And I don't think this is how Jesus approaches us. In fact, what James says is, And when we draw near to God, God will draw near to us. So what that says to me is that when we invite Jesus into that intimate place, that vulnerable place, that place that's really uncomfortable for us to invite him into, when we're being real and sharing our heart with him, and here's the thing, Jesus is omniscient. He knows it already, but there's something powerful about us sharing it with him and us being in a place of of vulnerability, saying, hey, I'm inviting you to know my heart. And not just the parts that I'll give you access to, but all parts of it. There are no rooms that are off limits in my heart in my life. When we have that moment with Jesus, we invite him into that place, that intimate place. Scripture says, as we draw near to God, God draws near to us. So as, as we're sitting with Jesus and we lean forward, Jesus leans forward. And what he's doing is, is matching, it's mirroring. In sales, they talk about mirroring that psychologically, when you mirror the person you're with, it, it brings unity. That you're, you're subtly telling them we're on the same page. As you mirror their, maybe their language, or maybe their, their, their just their body language, it's sending a signal saying we are together in this, that we are unified, that we're walking, we're in agreement. And this is what Jesus does. We draw near to him and he draws near to us. We lean in and he leans in. And he says, I'm with you. You can trust me with your most intimate secrets. You can trust me with the deepest hurts. You can trust me with the broken places of your life. You don't have to worry. I'm, I'm listening, I'm engaged, I'm here for you. This is what Jesus does. And some of you are scared to death to have this moment because you think, what if? What if he rejects me? What if I'm not worthy? What if? What if? What if? And I want you to know this (laughs) you're not worthy. I'm not worthy. We're not worthy because we do the right things. We're worthy because Jesus deems us worthy. We're, We're lovable because Jesus loves us. This is what he does, this is what he invites us into. See, the table is a means by which we can know Jesus. And this is what he wants. This is what he wants for us. This is what he wants from us. He just wants us to be vulnerable. He wants us to be real. He wants us to share every part of our life with him. In 1 John chapter 2, when I was writing this, I like practicality. I like being able to say, here's how you apply this tomorrow when you go to work. Here's how to live this out on your campus. Here's how to live this out at IUP. Here's how to live this out on your team, in your department, whatever it is. And I read this passage of scripture. It's in 1 John chapter two. And and this is what it says. We can be sure that we know him if we obey his commandments. So how do we know if we really know Jesus? If we obey his commandments. If someone claims I know God but doesn't obey God's commandments, that person's a liar and is not living in the truth. But those who obey God's word truly show how completely they love him. That is how we know we are living in him. Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. I gotta be honest with you, I read this passage, I'm like, I'm ready, let's go. Um, Because what does it say? Well, how can we be sure if we really know him? Well, if we obey his commandments. We've we've gotta live as Jesus lived. This is what it's saying, right? If we really wanna know God, then the evidence of that is that we live as Jesus did. And I gotta be perfectly honest with you. I, I read this and I'm like, great. Here it is. How did Jesus live? And we're going to have five steps or six steps. What are the things Jesus did? This is what we're going to do too. And some of you right now are like, okay, we're ready. I'm ready to write these down. Let's go. Because I'm a doer. Like, let's go. Let's figure this out. Let's work. Let's, right. And I read this passage and I'm like, yes, let's obey. Let's just try harder. This is what it's saying, guys. Try harder, work harder and then we're gonna prove that we know Jesus. and The Holy Spirit just punches me in the gut. You ever have a moment when the Holy Spirit's like, hey, stupid, okay, I had that moment. Holy Spirit's like, hey, stupid, that's not what it says. It's like, yeah, I know, but that's that's what we can do. Mm -mm. This is what it's saying. See, our our, our tendency is to come up with our list of five things and go, I'm going to do these five things and it's going to be evidence that I love Jesus. And I'm going to work really hard. I'm going to try harder. And because I try harder, then Jesus is going to know me and love me. That's broken. That's flawed thinking. That's not the heart of Christ at all. See, we don't have to get Jesus to love us. This is not a date. Okay? Okay. That first date jitters, you go in and you're like, well, maybe they'll like me and I gotta be perfect. And Oh yeah, I love hang gliding. I, I do too. That's what I love to do. And you're like, I gotta learn how to hang glide now, right? Nope. See, when we come to the table with Jesus, we can't lose. He already loves us. He already finds us irresistible. He thinks you are the greatest things he's ever laid eyes on. He can't take his mind off you. Right now, in the midst of your brokenness and failure and all the junk that you are caught up in, the the sinfulness in your life, he loves you right the way you are. Did you know that? No matter what it is, he loves you so we don't have to make him love us. And what this passage is talking about is the fact that when we know Jesus, when we invite him to the table and invite him into the intimate places of our lives and say, you have all access to my life, there is nothing off limits to you. When we invite him into that place and we really know Jesus, he cleans us up, he fixes us. I don't have to fix me, that's Jesus's job. I don't have to worry about how to stop sinning. That's Jesus's job. You don't have to worry about your your addictions and your habits and all the stuff you're struggling with. That is Jesus's job. Your job is to know Jesus. And maybe that's the harder job, to be vulnerable and invite him into your broken places. To say, you have access to my life, but that's what he wants. That's what he desires. That's what he's after. How do we live as Jesus did? By knowing Jesus. See, the interesting thing about Jesus' disciples, I'm not sure that we ever see Jesus um, correct the disciples about their personality issues or rebuke them about a behavior or habit other than unbelief, okay? but he's not like, Peter, you are so stubborn, right? Because Jesus understood something that we miss. Jesus understood, if I could just get these guys in my presence, where they're aware of my presence and steward this presence, and if I can get them in my presence and get them to know me, then all that stuff's gonna fix itself. See, some of you have been working so hard to break your porn addiction. Some of you have been working so hard to become a better wife or a husband. Some of you have been working so hard to make Jesus love you that you can't do it. You can't break that. So let me help you know Jesus. I could give you a a whole list of things that you can do, behaviors that you can change and modify that'll make you look better. But at the end of the day, none of that matters if you don't know Jesus. Stop trying so hard to fix your stuff. Let Jesus fix your stuff. The way he's gonna do that is by knowing him. So stop. Take the pressure off yourself. Say, Jesus, I just need you. I need you to show up. I need you to to get into every nook and cranny of my heart. Every dark place that I have hidden, I invite you into it. And let him do the work that you can't do. There's a passage in Mark 6. In Mark chapter 6, Jesus had sent his followers out two by two. He had sent them out to go do ministry. And he had said, you're gonna, you're gonna heal the lame and cast out demons and preach and prophesy. And this is a tall task. This is a tall order for these guys. And he sends them out two by two all over the region. And then they come back. And they're so excited. They're, they're, they're so excited. They're like, Jesus, you'll never believe what happened. And he's like, no, no, I believe it. That's why I sent you out, right? You'll never, people, blind people could see. Like demon-possessed people. We cast demons out in your authority. People were saved. Lives were changed. Miracles, and they were celebrating. And as a leader... I look at that, and I probably would have been guilty in that moment of going, okay, we've got all this momentum in our organization. Let's capitalize on it. What are we gonna do next? Let's go. Let's move on to the next thing. Let's keep this going. But that's not what Jesus does at all. Listen to what Jesus says. The apostles returned to Jesus from their ministry tour and told him all that they had done and taught. Then Jesus said, let's go off by ourselves to a quiet place and rest a while. He said this because there were so many people coming and going that Jesus and the apostles didn't even have time to eat. So they left by boat for a quiet place where they could be alone. I love this invitation. I love this invitation from Jesus for his disciples. He says, I know we got a lot going on. I know we're busy doing really good things. But fellas, can, can we just get away? Can, can we just go away together? Can we just spend some time together with no distractions, with nothing else going on, just us? There's some things I wanna share with you, but man, there's some things I wanna hear from you too. I wanna hear your stories about what happened, but, but I just wanna be with you. Sometimes sometimes when I'm meeting someone for lunch, whether it's one of you guys or, or maybe another pastor, which happens pretty frequently, the pastor may reach out to me, say, man, I'm really struggling. Hey, I'm having this issue. I need to talk. And so we'll meet for lunch. And when we get to the restaurant, I will usually ask the host or the hostess, I'll say, hey, would you mind sitting us like away from everybody? Can, can you take us like to a section that you don't even have open yet? I promise if you do that, I'll tip you well. But just, can you give us some privacy? And the reason I do that is so we don't have to worry about distractions. So we can sit together and talk and we don't have to worry about who's gonna interrupt us or what's gonna happen. I don't have to worry about distractions from other people. It can be this pastor and myself and we can talk and I can hear their heart. I can hear their struggles. They don't have to worry about shielding it or guarding it. They can just be real and honest and I can hear them and engage with them and talk to them and hear their stories and hopefully encourage them and bless them. And this is what Jesus is inviting us to. He's saying, would you just get away with me? Can we just, I I know you're busy. I know you got a lot going on. Can can we just find a quiet spot and talk? I wanna hear what's going on with you. I I, I wanna tell you what's going on with me. And this is the invitation that our, our savior has issued to us. I would love to give you five steps. I don't need to. My challenge to you is really simple. Would you make time for Jesus this week intentionally? Not find time, you won't find time. Will you make time? Will you say intentionally yes to Jesus, let's get away. Maybe it's a few minutes in the car on the way to work where you turn off the radio and you say yes to Jesus, no distractions. Maybe it's some time after you put the kids to bed where you can go be, go be by yourself in the presence of God. Or you can turn off the distractions and the noise and just say yes to Jesus. Man, we make this thing too complicated so many times church is great. I'm so grateful for this church. I'm grateful for great worship and media and production and all the things we do, but can I help you with something? At the end of the day, Jesus just wants to know you. That's what he wants. Will you say yes to him? Will you say yes to his invitation to sit at his table? I'm turning it over to Pastor Colin right now. He's gonna close out our time. He'll give you a chance to respond there in Blairsville. I love you guys more than you know, and I'll see you back in just a few minutes for our business meeting. God bless you guys. Heavenly Father. Lord, today, I sent your presence so powerfully in this room. God, I acknowledge that you are here. Lord, I'm aware of it. And God, I pray in these next few minutes, you would help us steward this moment well. Speak to our hearts. Help us to know you. Lord, remind us how good it is to be your son and daughter. God, I'm sorry for the times that I've gotten distracted by things that didn't matter. I'm sorry for the times that you've invited me to your table because you just wanted to hear what was happening in my heart, but I was too busy with other things. God, help us as a people know you. Help us to corporately know you well. Help Summit Church to be a place that people know that you can know Jesus here. More than our outreach, more than our events, more than our programs, God, help us to be known for that above all else. God, I pray that you would stir up a desire in us to know you more. God, help us not be complacent and satisfied with what we have and where we are. But God, I pray that you would help us see that we have been invited and help us see the value of that invitation. That your greatest desire is just to know us. So God, I pray that would be our greatest desire as well. So in this this atmosphere, in this moment, change us, transform us. Thank you for loving us when we were unlovable. Thank you for chasing us down when we had run. Help us surrender to you in ways that are new and different. Help us to know you in ways that are new and different. Thank you with nobody looking around with your head bowed and your eyes closed, if you're here today and you'd say to me, Mel, I know, I know I'm know, i not serving God. Maybe you've walked with God, maybe you're religious, maybe you know all the things, but, but the truth is you don't really know Jesus. And today you say, I, I wanna know him. I just wanna be in relationship with him. I'm, I'm not gonna embarrass you. I just wanna pray for you. And if you wanna be included in that prayer today to know Jesus, Maybe it's the first time you've ever really prayed to know Jesus. Maybe you're rededicating your life today to to know him anew. But if if that's you, would you put your hand up real high where I can see it? And you can put it right back down. Yeah, thank you. Two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Hands on my left. Thank you on my right. A couple of hands. Praise the Lord. Yeah, up in the balcony. Two, thank you. Three, I see you. Yeah, thank you on my left. I see you. Praise the Lord. Thank you, ma'am. You can put your hand down. Just a few more seconds. Anyone else? You know the Holy Spirit's dealing with your heart today. You know that there's areas of your life you've kept hidden from God, limited his access. Yeah, thank you, sir. Romans chapter 10, verse nine says this. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. So we're gonna pray together today. We're gonna confess with our mouths today. We're not just gonna say a prayer mindlessly. We're gonna pray this prayer from our heart to a God who loves us. And so I want every person in this place, whether you raised your hand or not, to pray this prayer with me. So say this out loud. Heavenly Father, today I surrender my life to you. And I'm grateful that you sent Jesus, your only son, to pay for my sins on the cross. From now on, my life is yours. I give you total access. There is nothing that I am holding back. I'm yours. Use me for your glory and help me never go back to old ways or old thinking. But from now on, I'm all in. In Jesus' name. Amen, amen, come on. Listen, if you prayed that prayer today and you meant it, whether you raised your hand or not, scripture says you're a new creation, that the old is gone and the new has come. And we wanna help you take the next step in your faith journey. So tell us about it. Let us know about your decision today. Um, The simplest thing for you to do would be to take the card out of the seat back in front of you, fill it out and then stop by our info center in the lobby in just a minute you can give it to them and they're gonna help you take the next step. They're gonna give you a Bible, and they're gonna point you in the right direction. Uh, if you're watching online you're here in the room and you made that decision today, you can simply text Summit PA to 94000. Let us know about your decision. Select the prompt that says salvation, and uh, and we're gonna respond back to you. We're gonna get some information in the mail to you to help you begin to grow. But in the next few days, no matter how you respond, somebody from our team's gonna reach out to you and help you on your journey. So I just wanna say thank you for that. Listen, I don't know if you could sense the presence of God like I have today, but God's not quite through this yet. We're gonna sing another song, and I just wanna encourage you, unless you've got an emergency, please don't step out, please don't leave. Let's take just a minute and worship God together. And in this final song, what I would invite you to do is just to say, okay, Jesus, what are the areas that I've held back from you? Uh, Jesus, I'm inviting you into every area of my life. Show me what needs to change, what I need to do differently. Show me if there are relationships or if there are things, whatever it is, and I promise He'll show you if you invite him into this moment. And so let's take a minute and do that. And while we're doing that, our prayer team and some of our staff are gonna be down here at the front of this room. We'd love to pray for you. If you have any needs at all, as we sing this final song, please step out, find one of our team, let them pray for you. And then in just a moment, Pastor Kendall will dismiss us and we'll be closed. And then, and then in about 10 or 15 minutes um, after we finish up, we'll come back in here for our business meeting. So. Don't rush off, stick around, but let's just take a minute. Let's steward this moment well, steward the presence of God well before we leave. So why don't you stand to your feet? Let's worship together one more time before we finish our time together, guys. Oh, I love you guys very, very much. I'm very glad I get to be your pastor. God bless you all. Have a wonderful day. If you enjoy this content, please let us know by rating and reviewing the podcast you can also contact us at summitpodcast.church. Remember to share this episode with your friends and on social media. Summit Podcasts can be found on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, we're there. Thank you for listening to Summit Podcasts, and we will see you in the next episode.